welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Pixelated Sausage Show. Hi, 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 hi. How are y'all doing this last episode before Christmas and Christmas Eve? But not the last episode of the year. And I do all of these as they're happening. So I'm recording this the week. In fact, this is one of the latest I've recorded an episode in recent memory. And by that I mean I'm recording this Wednesday evening, mere hours from posting. (laughs) It is 8.08 p.m. Central Time, if you want to be real specific with it. Right now. But I am not one to take breaks. So here we are. I got some games to talk about, and by some games I mean quite a few. But before I get to all that I've been playing, I do just want to mention the Insomniac hack. Because it's out there, and it happened. And I'm not going to go into any specifics or any of those details because if you want to find out what was in it, you can do that elsewhere. And even if you don't want to, like myself, you're just going to find out via Osmosis Jones. Great movie, great movie. I've never seen that movie. What the? Oh my god, that freaked me out. The asterisk on my keyboard. I thought it was a bug. But all that is out there. And it sucks. The only reason why I decided to bring it up, really, is because it's more fuel to the fire that is... 2023 being one of the worst years, if not the worst year, for gaming on the other side of the fence. And when I say other side of the fence, I mean developers, press, other people that are part of a studio who aren't technically developers, so your office staff... I, I feel like people wouldn't exactly call... Some people wouldn't consider QA part of the development team because they're weird. Your, your customer service people, support staff, community team, so on and so forth. There's just been so much awfulness this year that no matter how good the games have been, a lot of people say this is the best year. And it very well may be the best year for games. For the playing of games and all of that. But the people making them and the people who surround the making of them been a real shit year. And a, a lot, not, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, it's probably about 10%, I think, so far. But Embracer feels especially toxic in this department, leading to the closure of studios that have been with us for so long and have such a long history. Like Volition, more recently, is it Free Radical who did the Time Splitters games? I don't know if that was their first game post departing Rare. That, that was a lot of people who worked on Golden Eye and Perfect Dark. I can't remember if they also did... I know they did Second Side because it has the same aesthetic as Time Slitters. But I don't know if they're the same team that 
did that not no one lives forever i don't think that was what it was called there was a spy kind of maybe parody satire starring a lady that i never played so that's why i can't really speak to it in any accuracy but seeing them close Again, Volition especially was real hard for me, given that they are an Illinois team and are responsible for some of my favorite games. I adore the first Red Faction. I adore Red Faction Guerrilla. I really love the first few Saints Row games. My favorite is Saints Row 2. I know a lot of people prefer the third one, but I love the second one. I also really, really like the first one. For what the first game was, first, yeah. I thought it was pretty dang good and I enjoyed the shooting in it. It probably does not hold up at, at all control wise. But I also like the fact that your character doesn't speak barely at all, but when they do, they make it count, which is nice. Very in line with Grand Theft Auto 3. But I, 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 don't even think we're anywhere close to seeing all that Embracer is going to do to the industry in terms of destroying studios and potentially IPs with them. And an argument could be made that, except I don't, I don't buy it at all. But an argue, argument could be made that if they didn't buy it, no one else would have. But. I don't know about that. I feel like someone else could have maybe done something with some of these studios. But maybe not. Maybe not. Who knows? It, it may have been the same outcome where whoever ended up getting Volition would have handled them the same way. Saints Row came out. Same game. Same meh reception and sales as far as I know and that's that pre radical maybe took too long to put something out there and they're just like eh forget it time splitters remake time splitters 2 remake get it out of here you're out of here you're done it just really really sucks and I don't like it and it makes me sad not to mention all the other closures unrelated to Embracer and various press outlets firing people and then people to party and though you could look at all those and say well it's all good in the end because the former escapist people have exploded on patreon i believe i'm not sure if the same happened with the was it wayward patrick klepik and all of them waypoint i think actually i didn't read it or listen to any of this stuff and I checked out I checked out both of those uh, as being outlets that I, I wasn't too familiar with or at least I didn't follow any of their stuff I knew people who worked at each of them but didn't really follow any of their stuff and what I watched listened to of their new outlets didn't do much for me so not for me, but that sucks. It just it just sucks. Game awards suck every year, so that's nothing new. I do think it's funny how much how much of a I just don't understand why there is such a backlash against the game awards this year. If it's just because of the the kind of year it's been but as someone who's not like the game awards every year and has just watched it because you're going to get some announcements and it just seems like something you have to do if you're in the industry and care about games might as well watch it but I don't have to like it because it's not what it claims to be what we got this year is basically what I expected Maybe the speeches were a little bit more rushed. But I, I wasn't surprised by anything 
other than, and I don't know if it was entirely scripted, a little bit scripted, or completely unscripted. The only thing that felt off about the show was Chris Judge's jab at Call of Duty, which I don't know if I brought up last episode. But in a a show that is meant to celebrate games, that felt like the most... Come on now. Really? You're gonna... You're gonna... Poke at this... This game that was rushed. A game made by a studio that did the best they could with the time they had. Maybe... Maybe... Pay a little bit more attention. Maybe just... Find something else to talk about. What was the point of that? What did you get out of that? Do you have a, uh, some vendetta against Call of Duty? Christopher Judge? Star of fucking Star Trek. Not Star Trek, Stargate. Is this, is this Stargate SG-1. That was the, that was the thing. It was SG-1. Whoop-de-fucking-do. I don't like that guy. <laughs> And then I also don't understand why people are making such a fuss about Grand Theft Auto 6 coming out in 2025. They announced it too early. Oh, how? I don't want to I don't want to bring up anything in Somniac, but Wolverine was announced in 2021. Elder Scrolls 6 was technically announced. I don't fucking know when. But he came out 1E3 or whatever and said, hey, we're fucking making this, okay? Obviously, we're making this. You all knew we were making this. But just to kind of maybe shut you up a little bit, let me just tell you, we're making this, okay? And I'll leave this the fuck alone. That was announced whenever. Beyond Good and Evil 2, Hellblade... You can go on and on with games that have been announced that that get shown their 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 first trailer, etc., whatever, and they don't come down, don't come out for years and years and years, and we are complaining about a game that maybe a little over a year away, oh, could be a year and a half, it could be two years, it could be coming out in the fall of. 25, but it could come out in the spring. It could get an April release, like Grand Theft Auto 4, I believe, got an April release. I don't think it, I just, whatever. It's all dumb. It's all dumb. The year's ending. Let's get this year over with. Talk about what I've been playing. Because I, I, I was just thinking the whole time. Did I talk about all of this last episode? Because I legit cannot remember a single thing from last episode, last week. It's all a blur. This year is just crumbling on top of me. But with that, I've got a handful of games to talk about, including UFO Robot Grendizer, The Feast of the Wolves, Slay the Princess, Wizardom, Cookie Cutter, Hellwell, Orton Was the Case, and Rava and the Phantom Library. And we're going to start off with UFO Robot Grendizer, The Feast of the Wolves, which is an action-adventure game based on Grendizer, which is part of the... I forget the name of the, the very expansive manga and then anime series from the 70s that... Probably many people, especially people playing games today, aren't familiar with. I wasn't super familiar with it outside of knowing the name. And yeah, (laughs) I went in the game knowing very little, but had a very, very good time with it, which isn't to say it's an amazing game. It is a very, very, very strong 6 out of 10, and we should not be afraid of 6 out of 10s. We should embrace them. We should love them. They're the kind of games that you can find a fair amount of enjoyment out of if you 
stumble across them. They make great Game Pass games, great pick-up-on-sale games, but they're not going to be games you pick up day one, full price, unless you are a fan of the source material in this case or the genre or, or something along those lines. Unless you have a real affinity for something related to it, it's a game you can wait to play. It's not screaming you have to play me right now. But if you find yourself with the game in front of you and a control in your hands or a keyboard, you might have a surprisingly good time. And that is what I had with Grendizer. It's a bit of a weirdly designed game in that the bulk of it is this open-ish action-adventure game where you are thrown into levels that are somewhat open and have a bunch of exclamation marks across the land that you go to and you complete little missions that are usually that usually involve fighting waves of enemies, maybe completing a task like using one of your powers to uh, clear out fires and so on. And there will be collectibles to find, resources to obtain in order to improve your giant robot, which is the Grandizer. You being Duke, Duke something, not the Duke of Earl, but the Duke of something. But in addition to that part of the game, there's also a small chunk of it that is like a shmup over the top horizontal vertical scrolling shmup which is okay I like the visual style of that there's a bit of the game that is behind the back type of afterburner shooter thing where you're avoiding asteroids and shooting down ships that's pretty boring that's the worst part of the game when you are navigating your ship and talking to the crew at times during store breaks that is delivered in an isometric point of view, very Diablo-esque with, again, a nice aesthetic. I like the cell shady, cartoony, bright, colorful visuals. But the majority of the game is in that open world 3D action adventure game that plays like a lot of, I guess you'd say 3D platformers that lean towards the, the action side. But I really, really like it. it it's very simple, and there, there are some performance issues. It, it does kind of stutter here and there, and it feels a little bit off performance-wise, which hopefully can get patched and, and, and cleaned up. But the actual combat is more complex than I was expecting. It's not hard or super challenging, but it does require you to use all of your abilities, and there are a lot of abilities, which can be a bit of a hurdle for some of the younger audience, the potential younger audience. Though again, given how old the source material is, I don't know how many people are going to be going into this being fans of the source material. They may just see this cool robot on the, the key art and think that looks cool and you, you know what it is the presentation also is very very good and does a great job of eliciting that 70s vibe from the way certain scenes play out every time you transition from grandizer to the ship that your grandizer becomes a part of you get this little side view and then you're in this fucking chair that goes down in this tunnel thing and it just it's oozing 70s style in a way that I really appreciate and like from the voice acting to the art to the presentation it's just it's very very good in that in that sense but the action and the action adventure stuff the 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 majority of the game is a lot of just button mashing when you're fighting base enemies but you will 
also fight enemies who require a bit more strategy and using a specific ability to break through their defenses. And in some cases, an extra powerful enemy will have multiple layers of defense and require you to use a range attack and then your kind of blast attack that will stun them and then hit them a few times with melee. And then after you do this chain of attacks, their shield will be broken and you'll be able to damage them. And all of this is shown on screen in a very easy and readable way. And while it doesn't make it that much more challenging in the grand scheme of things, it does make it feel like you are doing more than just mashing buttons because you are in those cases. And it's satisfying. This is a game that I wouldn't have gone out of my way to play, but every second of time I spent in it, outside of that that afterburner type shit, but when I was just doing the action adventure stuff, I was having a good time the whole time. It was just fun to go around this area, fighting and, and completing these little missions, talking to various townsfolk as I'm doing them, upgrading my grandizer a bit fighting a boss maybe here and there it's a good time it's it's a game that I highly recommend to anyone who one really likes that 70s vibe if that's your thing you like giant robots and all that shit and enjoy a, a fun little simple action adventure game whenever it's on sale it's from microids who I find to be one of the better studios out there overall in terms of licensed products. They did the Smurfs games, which I really, really love. And some other stuff that I have. They've they've done, I believe, I can't remember if they're the Siberia studio, but the recent batch of Agatha Christie stuff, which I thought was pretty all right. And some other things I haven't gotten a chance to play yet that I would like to. But they, 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 I think they have a higher floor than a lot of other licensed studios out there, like Game Mill, for instance, which has put out some pretty good stuff, but also put out the G.I. Joe game and the Nerf Legends game which are both not good. They're very, very bad. I did attack the backlogs for both of them. You can watch them. But Microids is a studio that whenever I see something that's made by them, I don't immediately think, I don't know about this. I think this this could surprise me. I'm willing to try anything they do, and I'm excited to try anything they do. And then there's also, I forget the other... The other studio I believe is Outright, which does a lot of more younger, younger centric games like Peppa the Pig, is that what it's called? And the the Paw Patrols, I believe they did the Bluey game, the stuff more geared towards the extra young audience. But Microids, I like them, UFO. What was the full title again? UFO, Robot, Grandizer, The Feast of the Wolves. I like it. I wouldn't recommend buying it full price, of course, but Micro's games go on sale quite frequently, and they get pretty deeply discount fairly soon after release, typically. They usually, they usually go on a 30% off discount, and then depending on probably the success of the game, how well it's done, the discount will stay around 30% for a few sales and then eventually get to 50% off. And then if it's especially old, maybe after a year or so, you can see them hitting 66 or 75% off. But I keep my eye on it. I like it. Next up is Slay the Princess, which I do not want to talk about at all. It's a visual novel what I would like to call a text adventure more so 
where you have a simple task in front of you and a narrator telling you that you have to slay the princess. She's locked in the basement of this small little shed and you have to slay her or the world is going to come to an end. Inside the the little shed, the building, is a table and a knife on it. And then you can choose to slay the princess. You can choose some other stuff. As things play out, you will end up in places and you will learn things that you can use on additional playthroughs or or part of that same playthrough technically. And there will be things that are added to it's, it's, it's hard because part of what I really liked about it and I haven't completely finished it is the fact that I knew nothing going in. Absolutely nothing. Other than it was not your traditional visual novel. That was why I was interested. I don't... The the way you get me interested in a visual novel is by telling me it's not like all your typical usual visual novels. That's why, as someone who's played dozens, I've definitely played probably over 25 visual novels. Maybe even close to 50 at this point. I've played a lot of them because a a lot of smaller studios put visual novels out given that they're relatively easy to make. If you have someone who is capable of writing a lot, then you can can probably... I, I don't know the process of programming and setting all that up, but a lot of them have limited screens so there's not a lot of art assets and then it's just a lot of you're sitting on the screen and you're going through text 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 so it's it's, they seem relatively easy to produce and probably why we see a lot of them but i i don't click with many of them except the ones that get weird with it that try different things and really the only one that has grabbed me to that point is doki doki literature club which is not only a visual novel I really, really liked, and by really, really liked, I mean I loved it. It's one of the best games I've played in the last five, ten years. It probably... I don't even have to say probably. It's definitely in my top 100 where it falls in there. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll find out soon because I want to I play around and figure out my list. But what I want out of visual novels is for them to do things that are unexpected. And there, there is a lot of unexpected stuff in Slay the Princess. There, there are some very graphic images in it. So, so that, that is something to, to be aware of. If that is concerning to you, you'll probably want to hold off or, or, or avoid it. And on the, the website, which I don't remember the name of the, the developer, but if you go to their website, they have a full list, if you don't mind being spoiled, of all the stuff in there so you can see or, or read before giving it a go if there's anything that may concern you. The only thing I'll say about it, somewhat spoilery, is that there is a very Groundhog Day aspect to it in terms of repeating things but retaining the knowledge and other things from your past experiences of doing the same stuff. That's the most I'll say. 100% Enchi, I already saw it's on your wish list. This this is a you game. You got to get it whenever it's on sale. If you don't want to wait, you can not wait. But if you don't buy it the second it's on sale, when I see it's on sale, I am buying it for you because this has had Enchi all over it. 
This is the, the second I started playing this, I'm like, <laughs> has Enchi started playing this? Because Enchi needs to play this. This is Enchi. And he also mentioned some uh, other visual novel that is of this vein, of being non-traditional. I can't remember what it was. Tell me. But that's Slay the Princess, which I said basically nothing about other than to say it's, it's fucking good, people. Check it out. But next up is Wizardom, which is a classic first-person shooter in the vein of games like Doom and Duke Nukem, but instead of your sci-fi or whatever settings, this is a very fantasy. This is a fantasy setting. You start off with a mace-type club melee weapon. It's it's that what are those things called? It's not a bludgeon, but it's the mace type thing where the thing on the end of your stick looks like, I don't know if anyone's going to agree with this, but I feel like the first thing that comes to mind is a starfish. Not a starfish, not a starfish, not a starfish. Never, it doesn't look like a starfish because then I could just say it looks like a fucking star. I'm not a fucking idiot. I mean, I am an idiot, but I meant a star fruit, star fruit. And if you don't know what a star fruit is, or looks like that that checks out who the fuck eats star fruit anymore hipsters probably only but and keep all of this keep all of this or, or keep the caveat that this game is an early access game in mind with everything I'm about to say I played through the first two areas and while you quickly gain some ranged weapons from being able to shoot fireballs from your hands or staff that can shoot uh, freezing shards, the game is just so fucking boring. I'm not overly fond of the level design. It's a lot of... It, it, it stays true to the... Go here, find some shit to unlock the path over here and, and doing all that. But there's something about the levels that, especially the second area, that felt very... They're, they're boring to, to explore. Any of the secrets I found never felt like real secrets. And the worst thing about the combat, what makes it especially boring and dull and unsatisfying is that one, the music drowns out the sound effects but then on top of that underneath that because of being drowned out it it is either that the sound effects are so fucking quiet or some just don't exist for feedback when attacking enemies you don't feel any real oomph from your weapons when they hit an enemy or kill them or anything of that nature when enemies are, are coming at you they don't really make much sound in terms of walking or anything so there were multiple instances where enemies would sneak up behind me because I didn't hear them I didn't I didn't know anyone was there and I am taking damage I don't know what the fuck is going on and there wasn't even a, a great on-screen indicator, I don't, I don't think. But there's just no satisfying aspect to the combat. And since that's the majority of the game, it's just fighting these boring enemies, like giant rats and goblins. There's just this is a game that. We'll have to wait and see. I want to really like it because I think visually it has a nice look to it. It's more bright and colorful and seemingly cherry uh, than than your traditional boomer shooter, as, as the people like to say. But as far as the gameplay goes... 
the weapons I, I have in my repertoire so far, all of them leave me unsatisfied. And this is easily, easily, easily the most boring classic-esque shooter, retro shooter that I've played that I can think of. Even stuff like, was it last week, Kingpin Reloaded, which is, is a remaster of an old game. I have a lot of problems with that, but the combat did feel better than it does in Wizardom. But again, early access, things could change drastically. They could not change at all. It could just be a content early access type of thing. So we shall see. But that is again, Wizardom. Next up is Cookie Cutter, which is a Metroidvania with an extreme. <laughs> what am I, what am I, extreme attitude? Is that what the word I was trying to think of? I think maybe it, it's very, very tank girl ish. 90s grunge. The menu screen, the title screen has the main character flipping you off with both hands. Very, very edgy. So cool. And there was a time when that shit worked for me so hard. Because when I was a kid, one of my favorite movies, if not my favorite movie, the movie I probably watched more than any other movie was Tank Girl. Loved it, loved it, loved it. I designed toys around it. And by design toys, I mean I had a garbage can full of a bunch of secondhand things that I got because I didn't get a lot of new stuff. And I bedazzled the shit out of my TMNT van. I had a dollhouse couch that I put on top because she did that with her tank in the movie. She put a love, not a love seat, but a, a lazy boy type of recliner on top of her tank. And I did that with my turtle van in addition to many other attachments so that I could feel like light tank tank girl. But then when I rewatched it, revisited the movie a few years or so ago, I was very heartbroken to find that not even, I was not even able to enjoy it on a nostalgic level. I found it pretty unbearable. And while I wouldn't say Kiki Cutter has the same degree of annoyingness, it is going for that more grungy, cool, fuck the man type of attitude, which isn't a bad thing, but isn't exactly my jam anymore. I do, though, quite enjoy the art and the animation. I think it has... I think, from a technical standpoint, it's very well done, but it is lacking somewhat in imagination. So some of the character design, enemy designs, those are a bit lacking, but in terms of execution, it's, it's very well done. That said, I in, in what I've played of it, I don't love the level design, but more so than that, what makes everything fall apart is the combat. And why it falls apart is because there is a parry system that seems broken. The on-screen indicator makes it seem like it's going to be very straightforward and simple to pull off. And in my time with the game, it just felt like a crapshoot, whether I would successfully parry or not. I don't know if this is the case in other games of this nature. It's a 2D side-scrolling action game. But I was a little annoyed by enemies continuing their attack when they would fall off of edges onto other platforms. So that if you're on a lower platform and an enemy starts attacking from the upper platform and the attack continues down... I just felt like you have to be very far, far away from enemies if you want to just avoid them. And it could get a little annoying. And if you're fighting multiple enemies at a time, trying to parry them can be a mess and there could be a lot of visual... It just... It didn't... 
it, it just didn't feel completely streamlined or, or, or it, it felt rough it felt like a, it needed to be ironed out a bit so wasn't exactly feeling that then Hellwell is what feels like a twin six shooter meets tower defense where you're in these small little spaces you're fighting off waves of enemies but instead of using twin stick shooting to fend them off you lay down these towers that you can then upgrade and whatnot which could maybe be all right in theory but the controls are a bit clunky and i don't i wasn't one i just remembered the game fucking hard crashed on me multiple times to dashboard. And after I did it the second or third time, I said, fuck this. Because You know what was great, too? It conveniently happened every time I was having a really good run. I felt really good. I was starting to feel like I was clicking with the game. And then it would hard crash. And I would be like, fucking stop doing this. Stop it. But... When it's not hard crashing to dashboard, it it just it, it I wasn't super into it because you just lay down these towers, and then when the waves come in, the way you deal with it is that the enemies will always be chasing your character, so you have to then pull them and make them go through the path of your towers. That was, that was a, a born repetitive thing to, to loop to be pulling off. It's just, okay, enemies are coming. Let me, let me go round them up. And then we're going to play a game of Snake where I, I snake you through my towers and let them do the damage to you. But if, I, if I'm not being careful and I snake them in a way where they'll walk through a tower, they're going to damage the tower. So I got I to make sure that I don't do that. I just didn't care. That's how well. Orton was the case is a point and click adventure game. Not point and click. Uh, It's an adventure game though, where you play as a 3D character in a 2D world, but you can navigate it like a 3D space. And because it's because the background art is 2D, is 2D art, and the 2D art looks a lot nicer than the 3D character models. And and just in terms of design, I I think the art is quite ugly for the character design. And there's this ugly 90s-ish Ren and Stimpy, but with so much worse. Just, it's, I I don't like it. I think it's, I think it's a purposeful ugliness, but I don't like that style. But because you are navigating these 2D environments as if they're 3D space. It, it, it's hard to navigate and it's hard to always know what you can interact with, what you can't interact with. And it makes navigating the world feel clumsy, which is frustrating. I, I don't I don't think the story is particular. I, I do appreciate that this is a passion project by a single developer on their off time, I believe. But my, my main, one of my main big issues with the game, if not my biggest issue, is that there's an overstylization to the menus and font choices that make reading a lot of the text frustrating, especially if you're someone who does have any kind of reading comprehension issues or dyslexia. And I, I don't believe there are any accessibility options to change all of that to normal text I, I should I should have double checked I don't think there was and when I think about that I, I brought up this point multiple times but I, I, I don't think stylized menus and stuff of that nature is ever a good idea unless you 
you have to be so confident. And even if you're confident, that doesn't mean you're going to pull it off well. There, there are only a handful of instances where it really comes together. Persona is, of course, the number one example most people would go to. But those are few and far between. And the, the easiest way to get around it would be including some kind of accessibility option that allows you to turn on regular menus. Because I, I, I found reading all these, these various different types of font styles and whatnot very frustrating very, very quickly sadly but even without that disregarding that I, was, I wasn't a fan of the art I wasn't a fan of the vibe I didn't like controlling it, it just I can appreciate it so much more than actually enjoy it but as Orton was the case and then the last one is Rava and the Phantom Library which is a 2D side-scrolling platformer where you go into these levels that are fairly long and you have a handful of things to do in them on your way to the end of them, which will end in a boss fight that's incredibly boring. And by boring, I mean the first area's boss fight is, I think it was a cat that just jumped around. It didn't shoot projectiles at you or attack you. It just jumped around every now and again. You just shoot it until it's dead. It's not, it doesn't do fucking anything. It isn't hostile. I don't know if eventually the game's going to say, you were killing all these things that didn't want to harm you. What was wrong with you? The, the cat was just playing around, just jumping around, and you killed it. I don't think it's that thoughtful of a game. But you're going around these environments. You have a handful of weapons you can use. You're an owl in a wizard outfit with a wand. You can shoot a basic projectile from your wand, but then you have... I think four other things, including some kind of sludgy bomb thing that can destroy certain blocks that are under you, a fire type of projectile that can shoot things above you, a freezing blast that can shoot ahead of you, and then this bat ability that reveals jack-o'-lantern blocks, I think, which are part of the collectibles. You have to Defeat all of a certain enemy. Find and destroy all of the jack-o'-lantern blocks. Collect all the coins. And then I forget what the fourth thing is that every level wants you to complete to get a full completion. It feels good. But... You move so fucking slow that levels are a chore to get through. You will occasionally get a power-up that allows you to move faster, and there are some other power-ups that allow you to have a temporary double jump or a shield that allows you to interact with spikes and stuff without taking damage. And it looks pretty good. I, I like the animation on your character. And it's very, very responsive. And I can't help but one, it is just incredibly easy. There's no fucking challenge to it, at least from what I've played so far. Which, it, it, it's almost shocking how little challenge there is. And I just want to rewind that. Orton was the case. I do appreciate that they have in the difficulty options. You could change it any time in the game. No... Hints whatsoever, vague hints or very explicit hints, and the explicit hints will tell you literally what you have to do if you're having difficulty with the game, so you can turn that on. I like that. I like when adventure games include some kind of hint system like that that will literally just tell you, do this. Because there are plenty of games that have hint systems that still are they're trying to make you feel like you, you're still using a little bit of your brain. Maybe I don't want to. Maybe I just want you to tell me, okay? But I wonder if ignoring the difficulty stuff, the lack of challenge, if I would have had a significantly more enjoyable time with Rava if the game just fucking moved faster. It's so fucking slow. It's like a walking simulator for 2D side-scrolling platformers where you can only walk 
and they never give you the ability to run unless you find a power-up that allows you to run temporarily and very temporarily. Which is too bad, because again, feels pretty good. I think it's boringly designed in that it just wants you to find these blocks or collect these coins, shoot these enemies that don't really do anything to you other than walk on their designated pass. You can just jump over them. You don't even have to kill them because they don't give a shit about you. Just like the bosses don't give a shit about you. At least the first boss. But that is Rava and the Phantom Library. Did I say Liberty? Library, 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 library. But that will do it for this here episode of the Pixelated Sausage Show. Once again, I am Marcus Nez. Y'all can find me pretty much everywhere at PX Sausage. If you'd like to support me in my nonsense, if you enjoy any of the stuff I do and what have you, you can do that over at patreon.com slash PXS. It is the time of giving, isn't it? You want to give me a Merry Christmas? Join the Patreon for a day and then cancel it. And then if you do that, at the end of the month, you probably won't even get charged. I don't know how it works. I don't know how Patreon... I don't know if they take the money out and you have, you're forced to pay for the month or if you get out quick, you could... You could Download all the Q&As and then get out and get your money back. <laughs> I don't recommend doing that. Don't do that. Well, maybe you could do that. But in addition to the Patreon, you can find links to the site, the YouTube, the Discord, and so much more over at Patreon. Nope, that's not it. It's pxsausage.com, pxsausage.com. But that will get you a link to the Patreon, which is, again, patreon.com slash pxs. But that is it. That is all. As always, thank you for watching or listening. I hope you enjoyed this here episode. And... Whether you celebrate Christmas or not, I hope you have a very, very lovely weekend, rest of your week, all that good jazz. I'll be here again before the year is out one last time. So we're not done just yet. But until next time, you know the drill. Adios. Arrivederci. Bye.